Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast and our flat review as we look back at the 2000 and 1000 guineas and the Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks and some of these supporting races there as well. Our US racing correspondent, Mr. Peter T. Fornital, will join us in a few minutes' time. Uh, but first of all, I'm... I'm Emish Kennedy, alongside At The Races Pundit and Sky Sports Racing presenter, Miss Vanessa Ryle. Hey, here I am, present and correct. Also known as the first lady of the podcast and a man making a brief cameo and who is swimming in gravy after the weekend from an Aidan O'Brien stable tour. He brought you winter in 2017. Winter is here. And in 2019, he brings you Magna Grecia at 14 to 1. Kevin Blake, my friend, you've only gone and done it again. Hello! (laughs) So, while you were delighted with Magna Grecia's success, both personally and financially, on your own Twitter account, you were making the point that for the draw bias to be so pronounced in a classic is just not acceptable. Magna Grecia may very well have won the guineas anyway, but that draw bias is hard to get away from, Kev. Well, look, at the time, watching the first viewing uh, of the race, you would wonder about a track bias because you'd three come down the near side and, you know, they, they, they provided the first two, including a 66-1 to shot that was rated 92 going into the race. So you, you, your, your spidey sense would be tingling a little bit watching it, saying, Jesus, uh, what you, I wonder, was there a track bias? Um, I hate when, when the field splits for the guineas and away. I think it, it's just very unsatisfactory. Um, I know it's the nature of straight track racing that you can have it happen. But just in, in a race like the 2000 Guineas, I, I just it's such an important race. Um, I, I hate when it happens. But the thing is, you know, as we gathered more evidence over the weekend, you know, there is there has to be a question as to whether there actually was a track bias or a pace bias. Um, so while it looked suspicious. You know, I don't think there was a lot more evidence over the course of the weekend over the same track to suggest that there actually was one there. It might have just been one of those things. Um, I think Magna Grisha probably wins wherever he is on the track here. Um, I think he, he's much the best uh, on the day. It was a good performance. He he would have actually uh, probably been a bit better with more cover and something to lead him into the race for longer. Um, he was good and strong late on. It was it was just a very good performance from him. I was very very happy with him. Um, 
you know, in terms of the, the you know, and we had this in 2014, you know, when, when the when the field split and with Kingman in Australia, Night of Thunder and, you know, it was just an unsatisfactory race that, that was difficult to work out because of, because of the field had raced in different groups and while we can make our best estimates based on the evidence we have as to whether there was an advantage or a disadvantage, we we just can't say with absolute certainty, um, and, and that's unsatisfactory. You know, they they opted not to use the cutaway rail this year on account of what what they felt was going to be twenty plus runners. It wasn't quite that. Um, that that helps. I think it helps keep the field together. It doesn't guarantee it'll stay together, but it, it it I think it increases the likelihood that it will. Um, so look, while we're probably cutaway or no cutaway, we're probably still going to get guineas fields that split. Um, it annoys me, which is why I tweeted about it quite, quite quickly. Um, but I think ultimately, um, now that we've had time to look at a wider body of evidence, I think we can safely conclude that the best horse won. Um, we'll hopefully get to see rematch a rematch um, with a few of these coming back to the car. That would be super. Um, uh, there's plenty to pick through and behind as well. But um, main conclusion: Magna Grecia best horse good performance very good colt looks a miler to me um maybe they, they'll have a little pick over 10 furlongs later in the season but um in the main looks a miler to me and looks a miler to connections as well uh, john magner and uh, i thought it was interesting aiden o'brien again being incredibly humble you know a man who is dominating the classic scene in ireland but also dominating the classic scene in the UK. And all he wants to do is heap praise on essentially everybody else um, except himself. Uh, you know, when it comes to British classics, nine of the last 12 have been won by Aidan O'Brien. And he was very quick to say that in his view and the view of the lads, this horse is a miler, as you say, Kev, maybe 10 furlongs later in the season. But Irish 2000 Guineas, St. James's Palace Stakes, Sussex Stakes, they're the kind of races we're going to see him running in. And uh, highlighted the fact that the Niarcos family are involved as well and is delighted to be able to, to say that too, which I thought was an interesting thing too. Um, if he's the best miler, and I would agree with you, Kev, that he wins every day of the week, what about the runs of King of Change and Scaradu? And what about 10 Sovereigns? Is he, in your mind, a sprinter or was he a, a victim of circumstance in the sense that he was cutting out his own running for a lot of the race? Um, sure, look, we'll, we'll, we'll start with the second and work our way backwards. King of Change, you know, it, it looks like this was just a much improved effort. He was unexposed coming into it. He'd looked much improved on his return and has you know, quite clearly stepped up a good bit again here. There's, you know, every reason to think that he could step up again. And um, I haven't heard any plans. I, I'd love to see them come over to the Curra. Um, Richard Hannan is not afraid to bring nice horses over to Ireland, so that would be that would be great to see. He would need to improve a bit more, but given his act of improvement, he could well do so. So um, I wouldn't be knocking him. Scardu, um, just a good run, just a good run. He came from a little way back. Um, he's finished off the race best of all. Um, he's again unexposed only his third start um, should benefit from the run again would love to see him at the Curra as well um, I, I don't know if you'd I, I wouldn't be one that would be looking to go up and trip with him anytime soon so I think the Curra or I suppose waiting for Royal Ascot will be the two options for them um, Mad Moom I thought was a good run one that suggested to me that he could be ready to go up and trip 
um, in the near future. I suspect with his connections, he'll go to the Curragh, but um, stepping up and trip would be the thing there. I'd say they would, they would have loved to have got a little bit of cover with him. They just didn't get it there out in the wing from stall one. Um, but he finished after the race well. He did, Kev, but can, he, we, can we, sorry, can we just call it now, Kev? Kevin Prendergast can't train a winner in the UK. He trained the winner of this race about 40 years ago. Yeah, 40 <laughs> years ago, back in 19 dickety do, literally. <laughs> Stop. He's a terrible record in the UK. He's oh, a legend geez. of a trainer. He has a horrific record in the UK. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be upset to see him go up and trip. I, I suspect he will. In due course, he's still an, he's still a nice horse, and he should he can go on from this. Ten sovereigns for me just didn't stay, just didn't quite stay. Um, they would have loved, I'd say, to have got a bit more covered than they did. You know, Ryan had the option of of following um, the the horse in the yellow colours there, Emirati, Anna, if he so wished, but he decided to stay more down towards the middle. Didn't get any cover. Um, and it, it, it's an interesting exercise if you watch the race and just forget about the three in the near side and just watch the race in the middle and um, he looks like he's going to bolt up there but a furlong and a half out he, yeah. he's made, made he's, he's picked up well to hit the front two out um, and, and looks to be going away but he's hung inside the final furlong he's just got a little bit tired and um, and he got nailed close home so look while you couldn't say he didn't stay per, per se um, he's shaped like one that would be better at shorter um, and maybe with a slightly quieter ride and um, has loads of pace. So uh, I'd be really interested if they do send him down the, the sprinting route. That seemed to be the way they were inclined, um, listening to them. And, and yeah, look, he, he's got more to give. This this was a good start back. I know he didn't win. There was great expectations. Um, but given the way the race panned out, I don't think we saw the very best of him. And I think we can expect to see better going forward. Sounds as though we are going to see him on Sky Sports Racing in the Commonwealth Cup, where he'll clash with Calix, who was very impressive during the week. But um, we were talking about this only last week, Kev, that defeat in the 2000 Guineas would not preclude him from dropping back to being a sprinter. And that's almost certainly what they'll do now. They'll campaign him for that. Yeah, and he, and he ran very well. He ran very well. Like I say, look, the, the near side dominated a bit. But if you, want, if you just watch the race in the middle... Um, you couldn't say that things went ideally for him out there, but yet he's still in there, um, boxing away in front until quite late. Um, so I, I'd be quite happy with the run, you know, as happy as he can be. Ultimately, he's beaten four and three quarter lengths in, in the real world, not a hypothetical land where the, the three the, at the near side didn't exist. But um, I, I would be quite happy with the run. And with a view to the Commonwealth Cup, I thought it was more than satisfactory. Okay, Kev has got a limited time with us. He's a busy man. He's got investment deals to discuss in China. He's got to go meet up with Joseph (sighs) O'Brien. He's got to get ready for a big couple of weeks on TV as well. So we've got him for a very, very small window. So we'll move straight to the 1,000 guineas with you. Uh, A horse who ran an absolute stormer on the rolling mile at Newmarket behind Iridessa who we fancied for the 1,000 guineas, is Hermosa. And it was almost like watching Winter 2.0. Once again, Wayne Lorden on board and effectively made all, almost like Winter did. And uh, just hold on. Winter didn't make all. (laughs) No, but Winter was in front a long, long, long way out. It felt like she was in front for about five hours. My heart was pounding. Um, Lady Kea has run an absolute stormer as well. But Hermosa has made every single inch of the running and um, she'll definitely improve for going up and trip, but this was a fine performance and completed a, a, yet another Guineas double for Aidan O'Brien at Newmarket. 
It was, it was a good performance. She's jumped out. She's made the running at a, at a good, even tempo. Um, you know, she was ridden to, to set an, an even tempo. That's what she did. And she's battled really, really well. Um, she's got a fantastic pedigree, as you'd expect. Um, full sister to Hydrangea. Hydrangea! Uh, podcast, Pike podcast favorite, and uh, it just showed a great attitude to pressure. I thought, um, look on her form last season, you'd think she was held by a couple of these, but it seems like she's just stepped forward from two to three. Um, the the emphasis on stamina at a mile has seemed to have suited her, and and she's grounded out really well. Um, you'd imagine and hope she'd stay a bit further. How much further? I'm not sure. But this was a good, honest performance. It, you, you know, just very likable. Um, looking back in behind, Lady Kay has run an absolute stormer. Um, again, she's travelled probably as well as anything. You couldn't say she didn't stay, but she's gone with so much fluency through the race for so long that you'd like to think she might be even a bit more effective at a, at a bit shorter. Um you know, f- fantastic run. She probably would have been better off if she was upsides Hermosa. She was a little bit isolated out there with, with her middle draw. That wouldn't have helped her, I don't think. Um, handle the track a bit better than she did in the Chivalry Park last year. You know, a bit of an ease in the ground probably would have helped her even more. But this was a career best. Fantastic for her connections. Um, they've refused a heap of money for her on a number of occasions. And they almost had the ultimate dream result, but this was pretty close to a dream result. Finishing second in the Guineas um, with a filly like this that cost, you know, 15 grand as a foal is uh, is living the dream big style. And um, she, they might well get a group one win before the season's out. She's very good. And you'd have to be thrilled for all involved. Um, Kabbalah, Kabbalah, where's my note on Kabbalah? Oh, yes, didn't things didn't really go perfectly. For David Egan, you'd have to say here, um, a little, little bit like on her reappearance, um, came off the bridle a little bit earlier than ideal and just got tightened up um, at a vital enough stage, but it, but it's finished off well. Uh, it was a very good run. I wouldn't like to call her unlucky, but it was a good solid run. Um, might I think would have been second on another day for sure. Um, Fairland for me, fairly clear, non-stair. Um, they'd be dropping her back in trip. Um, they, uh, that, that's the way I would assess it personally. Um, uh, just wonderful. Got a little bit far back um, and has finished off the race well enough. Looking a bit awkward, you'd have to say. Mm. Um, I can't Iridessa. choice. Iridessa, I wouldn't like to make excuses for her. She, The race went as we hoped it would. The plan was to track um, Hermosa. Um, every chance weirdly got a small bit unbalanced in, in the dip which she hadn't done when she won the Phillies mile um, and lost her pitch a little bit there and that was kind of game over um, no decision made yet now but I'd say it's probably odds on she'll go to the Curra. Um but that, that will be to be discussed um, yeah I can't to be honest came away a small bit disappointed myself I was hoping for a big run and um, you know she beat her most and beat her well in the Phillies mile Mm. Um, she's given every indication that she's progressed from two to three um, just a little bit disappointing there you go it happens um, couldn't couldn't really point my finger at anything to blame um, just didn't bring her absolute A game on the day and if you're going to win a classic you have to bring your A game so um, regroup uh, and go back again and have another crack at them 
Okay. The Oaks doesn't come into your mind now, Kev, does it? You're still very much of the opinion that she's oh, it's, a, it's, it's an It's an option. It's an, absolutely an option. But it's not uh, like you're having a, a transformation in, in ideas about her. Like, to you, Vanessa, why are you doing a, a Dark Vader? <sighs> breathing down the the phone it's um, fair my, 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 my analysis so is so riveting vanessa is just like breathless <laughs> <laughs> oh just, my god this kevin blake i'm just that into it this, um this, i don't know sorry i i didn't know i was doing that amazing oh god um before you head off kevin blake you're not uh, all of a sudden thinking that stamina is going to be more her thing it's just that you're not prepared to make excuses for her but at the same time it was strange that that unbalancing was strange considering it didn't bother her at all as a juvenile yeah it just happens you know horses can get unbalanced you know no matter how well balanced they are they can get unbalanced and she just seemed to do at um at a you know obviously a vital enough juncture don't think it was the the difference between winning and losing but it resulted in her just losing losing her pitch there in her challenging position and um that was it you know it's not like she rallied um, but she hit the rising ground again. So again, it happened, but I wouldn't be putting it up as an excuse, really. Um, in terms of going up and trip, you know, it's, it's an option. It's an option. Um, it'll be discussed. But like I say, I, I would suggest that probably odds on to go to the Curra now for the for the Irish 1000. But again, um, that's, that'll be discussed with all concerned. And what about for Hermosa? Pink Dogwood leads the betting at 9-2, 4-1 for the Bally Doyle team, and now they have the second favourite in Hermosa. Do you like her thoughts of, of getting 12 furlongs? You didn't seem overly keen when you were discussing it. Um, her mammy was very fast. Hmm. Beauteous Troop was a fast filly. She, she's... Um, you know, hydrangea, hydrangea ended up, um, hydrangea, I'll get hydrangea. it right. Um, you know, she, she ended up staying well, haven't, haven't been, you know, very effective at a mile for, for quite a while. So it's, it's, it's hard enough to know. It's hard enough to know. She, to me, she didn't look like she was crying out for it, but, um, you know, she ultimately she's beaten the best miling three year old fillies around, beating them fair and square here over a mile. Um, so you know, if she's mine, you know, I probably I go Irish Guineas, uh, because I think she can probably go and win it. But you know, the 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 Coolmore team clearly have many other fillies in the mix, and I'd understand that if they wanted to take the chance, because if she, you know, it'd be no surprise if she stays a mile and a half given her pedigree. But um, based on the evidence we have in front of us. You know, she's very effective at a mile too. So personally, I wouldn't be rushing her up and trip. I, I, I'd go Irish guineas and um, edge up and trip as the season goes if I need to. Because I just don't think she needs to right now. You know, she, she's gone and made all in a, in a 1,000 guineas and w- was nicely on top of them at the line. Uh, I, I don't see why she wouldn't make a really bold bid to do it um, at the Curra. And don't forget the, the kind of historical precedent here. You know, she becomes only... Uh, the second filly trained by Aidan O'Brien to win the 1,000 guineas on her seasonal reappearance, the other being minding. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but logically, I'd expect her to come on from this. And you so, expect... so that, that, that'll be my thought. Yeah. If she's mine, I go Irish 1,000, but um, it'll be no surprise if she, if she stayed a mile and a half in the Oaks. Um, and certainly would be no surprise if she stays a mile and a half later in her life. 
But yeah, for me, I, I think she'd taken off of that a beating in the Irish 1000. Kabbalah and Angels Hideaway have both run absolute stormers. Skitter Scatter was a huge disappointment on official debut for John Ox. Yeah, and you just have to, the, the obvious question you'd ask is, you know, how, how well has she trained on? Um, small filly, did a lot last year. It would have been a concern coming into the race. And this wouldn't have, you, you, you could be nothing but disappointed with this. Hmm. You know, trained for the race, um, looked very fit. Wasn't there myself, but I got her. She looked very fit um, and didn't fire. So you give her another chance. Of course, every horse is entitled to one off day. But based on this, um, you have a big giant question mark next to her name now, I would suggest going forward. You kind of alluded to it with uh, Just Wonderful being so far back. She was asked an awful lot by Ryan Moore. And she was an impressive winner of the Rockville, but he was asking a lot of her. Um, I think she's a filly you have to ride quiet. Didn't help herself with, with the manner in which she started. And um, I don't think she was helping Ryan. She just she looked a bit funny. She looked a bit funny. Um, she looked a bit funny on occasion last season. Um, you know, she holds her head a bit odd. You know, she's run around a bit before. So she's a bit odd. She's, um, her mother is by Monju. Uh, and maybe there's just a little... and. And don't forget, you know, her half-brother is Lost Treasure, mm. who is very odd. <laughs> so, you know, it's... I'm it's, loving that you've got... This is a new thing for you, Kevin. You're using this adjective odd when basically you're meaning that they're a wolf-wolf dog. But you're, you've, a bit gone, odd. You've, gone with, you've gone with odd, which I quite enjoy. <laughs> they're just a bit odd. Not good or bad, just a bit odd. Yeah, a bit odd. If we, if we looked up the dictionary definition of odd, I think I think it fits well here. <laughs> well, I, I wonder does the does the Oxford English Dictionary definition of odd also then include woof woof dog, <laughs> as Vanessa said? Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with just wonderful, um, because you know I think last year she benefited. It took them a while to kind of get the hang of her, and I think she benefited from just being ridden quietly and delivered late. Um, don't think she enjoys the whip. You know, I think she's just odd. She's just odd. Talent is all there. Um, but she might be one of those that just needs heaps of pace in front of her, maybe a smaller field, confident ride to get there late. Um, the big question mark. So, you know, she's a, she's a group two winner already. And I'd say she might do well to kind of advance those credentials. Okay. Personally, I, she she they'll struggle to win a group one with her. I think it's fair to say. You know, I know she's she's not beaten all that far here, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think I think she might be one that all concerned look back on and said, yeah, we did a really good job to win a group two with her. Okay, um, make sure you make a note and you're at the races tracker. Just wonderful, odd. Just a bit <laughs> odd. Uh, and finally, Frankie Dettori riding for Aidan O'Brien. He won a classic before for him on Scorpion, famously, back in the St. Ledger. Um, Fairyland, I did quite like the fact that John Magner's mother was there and was heard saying, oh, she's run a cracker. Uh, she's run a great race. And she did, to be fair. In your mind... Is the Chivley Park winner going to be better suited to sprinting? And in terms of Royal Ascot, would you go Commonwealth Cup? Would you go Jersey Stakes? Would you stick to a mile? Yeah, back in trip, I think. Back in trip for me. Um, that was the way she shaped to my eye. 
um, it, it was it was a more conclusive answer than we got with um, than we got with ten sovereigns. I think uh, I, I'd be going back in trip. Okay, that, that that'll be my my takeaway from her. Jockey booking Frankie Dettori. Do you expect to see him in the Coolmore Silks a bit more this season, or the Stockwell Silks? And quite possibly so. You know, the, it wouldn't have been a secret what went on here. You know, Donica wanted to to ride Iridesa. Um, so they so had, a gap, they had a gap, and uh, and Frankie's allowed in. Frankie was free, so there we go. Fra- Frankie wanted to ride Iridesa. Did he? He didn't have a ride in the race, so you know it'd be natural for him to to fish around a bit. And he he rang the Blake hotline, tried to get he on. He didn't ring my hotline, <laughs> and uh, and you were like, no, the Don rides, and it didn't matter in the end. But anyway, we'll we'll see how it all plays out. It'll be interesting to see if Frankie. Um, and bear by bear in mind that Frankie did, you know, Frankie said that himself. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not speaking outside of school here. Frankie said it himself uh, on on the telly during the week that that he he tried for the ride. Hey, listen, it's Kevin Tightlips Blake these days. We know you're not going to give anything away when it comes to the professionalism of your role with <laughs> Joseph O'Brien. Don't worry about that. Um, Kev, best luck for the week. We will chat to you very soon again on the podcast, my friend. Talk to you soon. Good luck. Yeah, lovely. Um, I'm on Sky all week at Chester, so be sure to tune into that. I'm up to me ears and prep at the minute, which is why I'm bunking off early, but... Um, Chester will be well worth tuning into. I think proper racing there all week. Robert Sangster's favorite track and one of your favorite tracks as well. It's just beautiful. Yeah, mighty track. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Great, great people up around that neck of the woods. Absolutely. Uh, so always enjoy being around that part of the world. And yeah, can't wait. Okay, so it's all live on Sky Sports Racing, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Rory Delargy is joining me on Tuesday to preview it for atthereaces.com as well. Kevin Blake, ladies and gentlemen, his article will be available on the At The Races app and atthereaces.com as well. Kev, thanks as always. We'll chat to you again very, very soon. Peter T. Fornitel. Good the famous Kevin Blake farewell. <laughs> Peter T. Fornatel, I can see, has just joined the call. Good afternoon, Peter. Good afternoon to you, Emmett. Wow, what a what a weekend. It's a shame we don't have anything to talk about regarding the <laughs> this year. Just run-of-the-mill, average everything. No excitement, no drama. I, we'll come up with something, I guess. We're clever like that. Yeah, well, listen, look, what, what I'll say is is what I tweeted. The, the thing about the, the weekend just gone is that and, and this is one of the great things about watching this incredible thing is just when you think it can't do anything to surprise you, just when, when you think that it can't shock you anymore, all of a sudden you're going along nice and you go, oh my God! <laughs> I presume you're talking about Game of Thrones, which I had to stay up and watch for fear that you would spoil it on me after what you did to your colleague and friend... Last week, one of the best episodes ever. <laughs> I was very careful. I sent no texts, no tweets, no nothing during uh, during Game of Thrones this week. I've learned my lesson. Dear God. Um, Game of Thrones is fantastic. No spoilers. It's fantastic. It's another brilliant episode, and you can see it on Sky Atlantic at 9 p.m. It's also available on demand on Sky as well. Vanessa, are you watching Game of Thrones? No. Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> right, uh, we'll get your views on the 2,000 guineas. So, Magna Grecia, his 
juvenile form had been franked. Uh, Persian King looks a, a proper horse. He's a Group 1 winner who we saw in at the races in the Vertum Futurity Stakes. Good man, John Dance. And uh, John will be back on the show soon. And he looks a proper miler as he takes the 2,000 guineas. Another big win for Dundalk O'Brien and uh, riding for his father. And this one, owned by the Coolmore team and the New Yorkers family, has got a very, very exciting future ahead of him, Vanessa. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Kevin's obviously covered the race, the both classics pretty well. But I do probably disagree with him a touch, re um, the pace and draw bias angle. The, there's no getting away from the fact that Magna Grisha was heavily... Um, you know, he was in the best spot, basically, with the pace being over there, him being dr- drawn near the pace and then near the rail as well meant that they moved across with the pace. And before, after two furlongs, they were it was very clear that they had the advantage on Agreed. the near side rail. Agreed. And um, but like Kevin said, there wasn't much evidence outside the 2000 guineas to suggest that it was a draw bias as such. It's a it's that he was lucky enough to be drawn near such a nice pace angle, essentially. Um, but having said all of that, I think people went pretty heavy on the whole, the race splitting and the draw bias or the pace bias or whatever you want to call it. But when you watch it back, like Kevin said, Magna Grisha won that pretty impressively. Wherever he was drawn, he won that pretty impressively. Um, to me, he still looks like a very green horse. He looked green in the futurity. And then when you really look at him, when he hits the dip and then meets the rising ground and then is asked to go on, he still, for me, looks like he's definitely not putting in 100%. And I don't mean in a negative way. I just mean in a he's still obviously a very young horse like they all are way, but he just looks like the penny hasn't fully, fully dropped yet. He's not really got his head down with his ears pinned back. And I just... I think there's more to come from him. Definitely over a mile. He's a horse that um, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't particularly. He wasn't my pick going into the race. That went to Skardu. But coming out of the race, it's hard to get away from him being the most impressive. Um, and yes, it's been slightly being clouded over by everyone's chat. Like I say, either draw and pace bias. But he was a very, very impressive 2000 Guineas winner. And over a mile, as everyone's indicated, I hope they keep him over a mile and don't go down the sort of Saxon Warrior route of trying to stretch him because I think there's more to come from him. And as a result of that, I think we could have a really exciting season following him. Um, in behind, I suppose, when you look at the 16 other runners going down the middle of the track, there's loads to pick out from there. But focusing in on Skardu, who did win that 16-runner race in the middle of the track himself, coming third, um, he was a horse that I just was really looking forward to going into the race, having spoken to William Haggis prior to the race um, on Newmarket Heath for Sky Sports Racing about 10 days ago, I'd say. And he was just... Like William Haggis would not be someone who is overly positive about his horses. In fact, he can be famously downbeat about Mm -hmm. them. Um, Mm -hmm. But he opened up the interview by saying he's really impressed me with a piece of work he did today. And that immediately, when those words come out of someone like William Haggis's mouth, you immediately prick your ears because, like I say, it's just so out of character. And then he was just talking us through the Craven and how... Um, you know, he didn't think he was ready to do what he did in the Craven and they ran him anyway, but very much with a view to the Guineas and then going on from there and the rest of the season. So he's a horse that's really um, 
impressing connections when perhaps they didn't think he was capable of that just yet, just at this point in his career. And then with him winning that sort of far side group race in the Guineas, I just think that for me, he's the horse to take out the race other than the winner. If we're looking backwards, he'd be the horse for me to take out the race. I'm really looking forward. Hopefully they'll take him over for the rematch. I'd really enjoy that. Um, but also even further down the line, Royal Ascot, etc. For me, definitely Scardi, don't lose faith with him. I think he's a really talented horse. And I know people are crabbing the Craven form, but I like to think that Guineas has almost backed it up despite the fact he didn't win. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think Magna Grecia wins this race wherever he's drawn, but it's yeah. impossible to get away from the draw bias. And he was held by the pace. He he was. And the fact that King of Change is the lowest rated horse in the race and he's finishing second. I mean, look, Richard Hannon has trained a big priced winner of the Guineas and he's trained big priced horses to finish placed in the race in the past. Um, I, he, he's a fantastically talented trainer. But, you know, Shine So Bright is up there as well. And, and he's not beaten far either for D'Souza in his new job. It's it, yeah. It's definitely there. But Magna Grishi is a is a very exciting horse. Um, Invincible Spirit is a horse that, that you've gone over to see at the Irish National Stud for the Bloodstock Show in the past, and I'm sure you'll be taking a look at him again. Um, a, a very important stallion, and it's interesting that Coolmore have gone to him and are investing in him, and that the Niarcos family are stuck in this horse as well. He cost a fortune, 340,000 uh, guineas as a foal. And uh, look, he, he's exciting. He, he's definitely exciting, but... At Royal Ascot, if Scaradu is an embarrassingly big price against him, he's going to be a serious weapon. And he's a, a Shamadal, and, and he, he'll deserve that bit of respect as well and should definitely be taken out of the race. In, in terms yeah. of Ten Sovereigns, do you look at him as a horse who just didn't stay, or was he inconvenienced by the way the race panned out? I think a touch of both. I think a touch of both, as Kevin touched upon himself, you know, and as we well know, the Coolmore team will have to sit down and think about where they send these horses now. But he's a horse that, for me, is a mile his optimum trip. I don't think it is. Personally, I don't think it is. But could they easily stretch him out to win a decent race at a mile? Probably, knowing them, you know. Mm. Um, but now they've got Magna Grisha and he's put his hand up as the three-year-old miler what do they do with 10 sovereigns you know it's all a bit of a headache for them at this time but as they say as anyone in horse racing says these things tend to have a way of sorting themselves out <laughs> and um i'm sure by the time we move on to um the big meeting at the curra and then on to royal ascot these things will have sorted themselves out well, I think but yeah i think me, it's pretty simple isn't it like magna grisha goes down the mile route uh, we'll see him on Sky Sports Racing at Royal Ascot and the St. James's Palace Stakes and that's he'll he'll, yeah. he'll have gone to the Curra prior to that uh, maybe we'll watch him on a triple split screen who knows uh, uh, we'll <laughs> I mean what's going to happen is Magna Grisha is going to go to Royal Ascot as a dual guineas winner potentially yeah and then Scardu will skip the Irish guineas because um, William Haggis loves to be patient with these horses and I think that he might feel that this horse has done quite a lot early on um, maybe a touch more than ideal with winning the Craven and then you know 
kind of winning his at 16 runner race on the far side. Um, so maybe he'll skip the Irish guineas. And then my idea is that he'll then go to Ascot and I would, I mean, look, who knows how these horses will progress, but I'd be so interested to see how much nearer Scardu could get to Magna Grisha than somewhere like Royal Ascot. I wonder, can he follow in his father's footsteps and win a St. James's Palace Stakes? I wouldn't be surprised if he can follow in, in Shamadal's footsteps. Uh, speaking of, of Shamadal, who was once trained by Mark Johnston, what a cracking run from Dark Vision. You know, I can still see the quotes, the front page of the trade paper. Oh my God, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming every night about, I can't stop thinking. I can't stop thinking about how incredible Dark Vision was a good one. Oh my God, I've never seen a horse like it before. You cannot take my, you, you can take my life, but you can't take dark vision unless you've got loads of money and you can't take my freedom. Oh yeah, off you go, take him away. Uh, great piece of business, Mark. Listen, top salesman. That's all I'm saying. Top salesman. It was terrible. a piece of You're absolute genius. I'll tell you what was terrible. That Scottish accent. I have no idea where the hell that one was going. <laughs> there was a time yeah. I was good at accents. Um, but yeah, good good man, Mark. Fortune's made on Dark Vision. And good old Sheikh Mohammed is probably <laughs> looking for the receipt somewhere. Um, seeing as Peter is here, shall we move to the States? It was a nice quiet weekend on Sky Sports Racing. There wasn't anything uh, at all out of the ordinary. Maximum Security wins the Kentucky Derby presented by Woodford Reserve. Q absolute epic scenes. A man jumps on top of a woman on Sky Sports Racing. She falls to the floor. He's on top of her. They're rolling around. Everyone's having a great time and then all of a sudden <gasps> For the first time in Kentucky Derby history, they throw the winner out. And Country House, 9-2 to two, the winner. Country House at 65-1 to one for William Mott is given the Kentucky Derby. My friend, take it away. Uh, what did you make of this? What did you make of, of how the whole thing played out? And was it the correct decision? Well, well, we'll start with this. I told you Mott was going to get his derby. I just <laughs> of course, I gave it to you on air. That's the little problem. But it was it was the whole thing was surreal and stunning to get right to the headline to me under the American rules of stewarding, which are different than rules anywhere else in the world. It is indubitably the correct decision. Now, some people are getting very angry at that and they're pointing out that the, the best horse uh, passed the line first and should be they should leave the race as they would anywhere else in the world. That's not how the rules work in the USA. And it's very clear that that type of interference that was caused, whether it was, as I initially thought, race riding, riding. Or as has sort of come out subsequently, the idea that the horse shied from something on the infield, causing the him to veer out several paths. But I mean, that was an extraordinarily dangerous incident, and under the rules, clearly impeded War of Will, cost him a better placing in all likelihood by losing that momentum, and had to be thrown out under the American rules. Now, there's another conversation to be had whether or not the American rules should be made to be somewhere more in line with the rest of the rules 
internationally. I, I certainly think from a punter's point of view, the international rules are much better. It requires much less of the stewards having to play God essentially and make these determinations about who would have finished where, not just in the top spot, but in the minor placings, causing stewards to have to make a lot more decisions in the U.S. than they have to make elsewhere in the world. And as we've seen, they don't often get it right. This time, I believe they got it right. There were other problems in the way that the message was communicated, the fact that on USA TV, the really definitive angle, I didn't even see until the next day, honestly. Well, well this is actually something I wanted to highlight with you, and it's important to, to mention. Look, our good friend Nick Luck is a, a huge and integral part of the NBC sports team, and I think NBC are one of the absolute best in sports coverage from NFL to horse racing. Um, even their, their Premier League coverage, Rebecca Lowe, is absolutely outstanding. But... Sky Sports Racing have no control over that feed. You know, they, they have Sky Sports Racing go to NBC, bring that, and that's why we get Nick Luck um, doing his thing, Mike Tirico, and all the team. However, for some reason, uh, and I can't quite understand it, the director didn't show it. And that really infuriated me because when you look at it, it's, he's coming out essentially five pats. He's clearing horses out. It's, it's lethal. And this is something that we've talked about on the podcast on many occasions. We've talked about it with you, with Vanessa, with Kevin. The, the, the one that always sticks out for me is Simple Verse against Bondi Beach. Never in a million years should that race have been given to Andre Edsini in, in, um, in it, just, I mean, it just shouldn't be. You know, Scobie goes in uh, and, um, and Colin O'Donoghue and, and, and gave an exhibition in terms of how to win a race in the stewards room. He fought as hard for it there as he did on the track. <laughs> but, but, you know, he gets the race. Then they go for an appeal and they give it back to Simple Verse. And you're sending completely the wrong message because what's going to happen, and Kevin's made this point, Vanessa's made the point, you've made it, I'll make it for the 17th time, someone's going to get killed. Uh, a horse a jockey, somebody is going to get seriously, seriously injured. And that's when the stewards are going to step up and go, oh, right, we need to change things. So the fact that the Americans looked at this, the stewards looked at this, the viewers couldn't really see it uh, because NBC chose not to show it. I don't know why. But the fact that the stewards looked at that and went, no, that's unacceptable. We're taking you out of our biggest race, bar the classic. I think is to be applauded and to be commended. I think they were absolutely right to do it. I always used to think that the international rules regarding DQs were better because they are better for the punters. But you raise a great point, and we see this happen in big races over there more than here. You see... I think you see a lot more race riding and riders not afraid to shut the door in ways that can be very dangerous, as you've outlined. I'd love to find a way where there, there become rules in the U.S. that are closer in line with the international rules, but find a way to punish that type of dangerous riding, whether or not you want to call it reckless riding, you know, whatever you want, terms you want to put on it, the safety of the riders and horses is too important to let that kind of stuff go on and have riders be happy enough to serve a band because they get to keep the big race and who knows how connections might compensate them for time they lose like that that has to be taken out but at the same time the u.s rules as they are 
I don't I think there's even though this case was clear cut, there are many cases that aren't clear cut where you see decisions made with a lack of consistency and a lack of transparency. That's a problem, too. So I'm tr- I guess I'm trying to in a way have my cake and eat it, too, here where I want the punter friendly best horse one aspect of your rules. But I want the discouraging of dangerous riding like I, I think in theory we have more here. But isn't- I have two questions for you, Peter. Sorry, I'm so like naive to this American racing rules <laughs> and regulations and just general American racing um, altogether, to be honest with you. But first of all, what what is the official rule as in like what when they're going through the rule book? What what's the official line on what they go to in an incident like that? I wish I had the exact line in front of me, but the idea is that you can't engage in interference that costs another horse a placing. Okay. And and that verbiage is where it gets particularly tricky. So for example, even you, you could probably make the argument he he basically fouled three and a half horses. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. so two of them were tiring speeds that I don't think if it was just him shutting off tiring speed horses, I don't think you could say that cost him a placing. I don't think they would have made a change oh, if it's just Country House, the ultimate, the one who was awarded the race. I'm not sure there would have been quite enough in his interference with Country House alone for them to make the decision. I think it would have been right. very say that it that the race would have I think it seems most likely to me the race still would have come 720 even if country house hadn't been impeded at all the the reason it's a problem is in my view war of will one, uh, uh, sorry we have that the, on our show all the time the dog <laughs> wants his say and he's got strong views in the American rules <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Was, so that's okay. The issue was that War of Will had a space to go through, was making this move that could have proved decisive. I mean, I still think it's likely that it would have come 7-1, but the fact that War of Will ends up running out of the money, that is why the decision is is made the way it is, from what I understand. Okay. And then my second question is, if... My second question is if the – so obviously the stewards have gone back and it basically take away it being the Kentucky Derby, take away it being any level of race, the same decision would have been made in the lowest grade to the highest grade. That is the way American racing is and it would have been brought up whether it was in the on the big screen of the NBC or like way down at a country track, that decision would have been made. 100% correct. If that was a five claimer, that same decision is made. And some have argued that's part of the problem with the decision. Some want to, you know, what, what you'd say in USA sports, I'm sure the concept uh, exists in uh, proper football as well. The idea of swallowing the whistle at a key moment. And you do see that. We have seen yeah. non-calls in defi- what would be defending, that yeah. would be defining plays in the Super Bowl. I can think of two in the last seven years of kind of egregious no calls. Two so that I do were think absolutely that, shocking calls, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> the you so USA fans, I think to some degree, are used to that and and questioning, well, well, should it happen in the Kentucky Derby? Yeah. And to me, the rule is the rule is the rule, especially when you see on that head on how to me, I'm just going to use the word egregious. I think there was just no doubt 
about the interference that was caused. Again, not necessarily saying Luis Saez did it on purpose. It does sound like it was a question of him losing control of the mount, but obviously that's a big part of the jockey's responsibility, and that is just supposed to come down every time, in my view. And look, the day before we see this horrific incident in the Kentucky Oaks, and thank God everybody walked away perfectly fine. So, like, this idea that... Oh, maximum security is nine to two. Therefore, it's the Kentucky Derby, so the horse has to be able to keep the race. No, this is something you're getting right. And and like from from our point of view, the, one of the reasons that Vanessa is asking you the questions that she's asking you is because we don't know. Like it's so we're so inconsistent in in the UK. Um, I think we're a little bit more consistent in Ireland, but there are times where they can infuriate you. Uh, you, you can certainly argue that there have been big Group 1 races where a horse has won causing interference and they've kind of looked the other way. And if that was a handicap on a quieter day, they probably banned the jockey and they probably turned the results around. That's definitely happened in Ireland in, in the past. Uh, but but in the UK, I mean, in fairness, Vanessa, from, from one track to the next, you've no idea what's going to happen in terms of stewards. No, I mean, we've definitely covered it on the podcast before that um, stewarding, I think, needs looking at in loads of different areas. It's something, it's a much deeper discussion than just this. Um, And there's definitely areas that the UK stewards, I personally think, get right. And then there's definitely areas they get wrong. But yes, there is a bit of a sense of potentially something that you might be able to get away with on one day, you might not get away with the next day. There's definitely a touch of irregularity about it. Whereas it feels like in America, there's much less of that. It feels like the rules are across the board and everyone has to play by them. I I think just from the outside looking in, it feels like that. Whether you agree with the rules, whether you like the rules, whether you think the rules are fair, that's again, another topic altogether. But I do think that they have a bit, I do think they apply their rules in a much more stricter and stringent way, I think, maybe. Hmm. I'm kind of drawn back to Paris Court, who was a dominant winner of the Arlington Million. And the next thing, the phone rings. You know, the the phone down at the the side. Peter Peter knows what I'm talking about. And there's an objection made straight away. And then Jamie Spencer's got to go on the phone and talk to the stewards. And then this is all on camera. You're seeing all of this play out. And he's caused my, not crazy interference, but interference to the third. And the runner-up, as they cross the line, the jockey and the runner-up start celebrating because he knows. He knows Spencer's a goner. He just knows. So I, I don't see how Luis Saez can have uh, uh, any kind of defense or how... Uh, Jason Service could could be in the winner's enclosure and have a face like Doc Cotton licking piss off a nettle, you know, and that, oh, oh, he should have kept the... No, you've taped, you've done something unbelievably dangerous. And um, look, it's, I'm sorry for you and I'm sorry for the connections that get to go and we're celebrating and it's taken from them, but it should be. It should be taken from them. Welfare has to come first. Um, Peter, what was the what was the mood like on the track when something like that happens? Because surely a bit like over here, the stewards' bell goes. You, everyone at the track is aware there's a stewards' inquiry. And then what was that sort of like twenty minute period like? And then the reaction afterwards. It was tense and shocking, 
And I think a big part of it was that we didn't get again on TV. And I don't know what they were looking at on track. Honestly, I don't know what they had up on the big screen, but when you just saw the pan, I think most everybody's reaction was, Ooh, kind of dangerous, but probably not enough in it. And again, despite what the rules are, you would, you, you just instinctively think, especially not in a Kentucky Derby, knowing there've been after the fact DQs for, for, uh, for there was a drug violation back in the sixties that there was a after the fact DQ, but there's never been one taken down on the day. So I think that that's why there was, there was a lot of, hmm, this is taking a long time and tension ratcheting up. But I really think when that view of the head on was seen, most people changed their view. Right. We're like, oh, no. Now, there is a whole political. I don't know how down the rabbit hole of this we want to go, but there, there are a lot of politics involved here, too, given the connections involved. And a lot of people, this is very impolitic of me to say, but I mean, I, ju- I do believe that the fact that you didn't have an old guard trainer training maximum security might have played into their willingness to ultimately make this very difficult decision. Because don't get me wrong, I could point to so much inconsistency. I'm just talking about the way the American rules are supposed to be. They're not enforced with any degree of consistency. I can think of no better example than Bayern in the classic a few years ago, which to me was also an absolute no-brainer DQ that they decided to leave up. And there was a lot of speculation at the time that the power of Bob Baffert might have had something to do with that decision. In this case, you have an outsider. I'm just going to describe him as an outsider trainer, Jason Service. He falls into the category of what we refer to in the USA sometimes as super trainers, which uh, trainers who win at unbelievably high percentages, and there's a perception about them that they're taking an edge. Now, I'm not here to say whether that edge is legal or illegal, but you're looking at somebody who wins at rates that the Hall of Fame trainers of the past could not achieve. So there, there's a certain amount of skepticism so, that might have made it easier for the for the stewards to to make what we believe is the right call. Now I hope I'm wrong about that, and I don't mean to impugn anybody. But no, I don't and, and you're not, you're not. You, what you're doing is you are relaying information that this is a, this is an opinion in the states. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's that is exactly right. It's well put, and. There is the question that comes up. Yeah, if Bob Baffert had trained maximum security, would the same result have happened? And the answer is, I don't know. I'd like to say, oh, it definitely would have been chucked out. But then I think back to Byron and I say, I I don't know. Now, granted, California stewards are different than Kentucky stewards. I think the Kentucky stewards are generally a little more hard line when it comes to these things. But there's just there are layers upon layers of complexity here. And And again, I feel bad. I don't I this is another thing where oh boy the Twitter has really been filling its role as the outrage machine as my friend Mike Pesca likes to call it on on this issue where anybody who disagrees with you is I have had people on both sides of the argument tell me how stupid I was on one because I didn't you know agree completely with them god forbid that we should have some different opinions or any any nuance in the way that we look at the world but there I do believe you can feel bad for the connections and you can also say this was absolutely the right thing. And you can also say, you know what? This stinks for betters who had the best horse and don't get paid. But under the rules, it's also the right decision. I personally would love to see the rules changed in the USA where 
maximum securities backers would have gotten their money because I feel like from a punting point of view, that's the fair thing. But I I also don't mind the idea that the connections don't get rewarded when you have a situation where there's such a dangerous situation created. I don't know if a system like that, it does that doesn't exist anywhere in the world. And maybe it's just me trying to have the best of both worlds. But I do hope this will lead to a change in the way American stewarding is done. I just I want the stewards to have to do less like they have to do elsewhere in the world, but I also want to promote the safety of the riders and the horses. It's yeah. it's, it's complicated uh, morass. I'm going to be honest with you, my friend. I think you're going for a utopia there that's not possible. But yeah, you, right. you did mention a, a good point, though, about punters getting paid. The, the frustrating thing is that if you've backed maximum security, you're not getting paid in the UK or Ireland. There is no first-past-the-post in international racing. So... Unless and, and actually, in fact, there were a number of bookmakers that were not betting on the Kentucky Derby at all. You could not place a bet on the Kentucky Derby. You couldn't place a bet on the Kentucky Oaks. Now, it's obviously some kind of a licensing issue. Sort it out. Sort it out. Like, we have options. There are many bookmakers and many betting companies that you can bet with. But it's bizarre to me that you can have a big, big name bookmakers who are not taking bets on the Kentucky Derby for whatever reason, that needs to be sorted. I don't know what's going on there. However, if you had backed maximum security, it's not like in the English Derby, for example. English Derby. I'm going to get killed on Twitter now. The Derby, if the horse gets thrown <laughs> out, if there's, a, if there's a huge... If Massar got thrown out of the Derby last year and you'd back the horse, you'd get first past the post, bar anti-post rules, um, if you backed him on the day or in the few days leading up to it. But, you know, back him on course, bookmakers aren't giving you the money back. Back him with the tote, you're not getting the money back. Um, and and that's the, the rule in the States. And we kind of were very lucky here in the UK and Ireland that we have that first past the post rule, that, that you know, we can benefit from that, where, whether we've placed a bet online or, or in a shop um but obviously american pundits don't get that you were talking about the court of twitter uh it's extraordinary to think that a, a man who I, I believe the last time he was at churchill downs for the run for the roses was back in 1999 and uh he takes to twitter first of all spelling kentucky wrong this is <laughs> this is true he spelled how do you spell kentucky wrong K-E-N-T-U-K-Y. Let's give this a go. The Kentucky Derby decision was not a good one. It was a rough and tumble race on a wet and sloppy track. Actually, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Only in these days of political correctness should such an overturn occur. The best horse did not win the Kentucky Derby, not even close. By the way, Secretariat, he wasn't one of the best. Uh, you know, he wasn't that great. Uh, he he was no Seabiscuit in my mind. <laughs> he said that in 2015. What oh, the man. hell is wrong with this guy? Um, oh, can yeah, Donald Donald podcast. Donald Trump. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, so he says it's the world of political correctness gone wrong. Uh, kind of sums up the whole Twitter thing, really, doesn't it? Um, most of his stuff, Emmett. Most of his stuff is 
a hundred percent nonsense. He did have one sentence in there that I agree with, which is very unusual that I would agree with anything to come out of the orange goblin's mouth. <laughs> I'll only say that because there's not many Americans listening. I don't do politics on my show because I just don't want to get into it. But hey, we, we, we're international here. I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of a, a glimmer into my political views. But I do agree when he says the best horse didn't win the race. And I do think that's something in the USA that could be worth looking into the rest of it though. You can, you can just put in the category of, you know, something else that guy says that I don't agree with. Yeah. I think most of us just don't agree with them. Um, Gary West is going to appeal the decision. Let's talk about country house. Omaha beaches connections must be still getting sick peas and carrots all over the place because, uh, Omaha beach absolutely stuffed this horse. And then country house comes out and is awarded the Kentucky Derby at the line. He was only a length and three quarters behind. Um, what did you make of the performance in the end? So we've got Country House beating Code of Honor, a noble mission with Frankel blood uh, pouring through his veins and then wearing Frankel's colors. Our horse Tacitus eventually then being given the third spot. Um, Country House, Code of Honor, Tacitus, you're one, two, three in the Kentucky Derby. Belmont gets his his uh, run for the roses finally, as you were saying, not quite with the horse that we wanted. But what do you make of the one, two, three in the end? Country House is a good horse and he's really improving. This was, I think, really the first time he broke with any degree of alacrity from the gate and showed toughness and finished off his race. And I think certainly should continue to be progressive be very interesting for a race like the belmont i imagine now with the theoretical triple crown on the line they'll probably come back in baltimore and then i imagine if he doesn't win that they'd probably take a break and aim for a late season target like the travers up at saratoga but that's a horse that i mean i wrote nice things about him in my at the races.com write-up and i like the idea of him as a long shot uh, each way potentially but i i really didn't th- i thought his ceiling would be a good third he ends up going a couple better with a little bit of help from the stewards tacitus ran sneaky well yeah um it felt like he was in not the easiest spot in a couple of places. And he just looked to me like he had to eat a lot of dirt. I'm not giving up on him at all. He would be probably my number one thought for the race races like the Belmont and the Travers right now. Seems to me like that sort of New York three-year-old pattern could really fit him. I, I still think we have time to be proven right about him. Code of Honor I found was a little disappointing in that He had the sort of the dream run up the rail when that place was vacated by maximum security. I think if he was as good as I thought he was, he probably would have won the race. I don't know if that means that the the 10 furlongs were just a little bit too long or what, but certainly interested in him as one to to, should progress throughout the season in the hands of Shug McGahee. But I was a little bit disappointed with the run on the day from him. And to be honest, I haven't even gone all the way back through the field and done all the trips on the race yet because the conversation has been so much just focused on the DQ. But well, before we get too much farther in the season, I'm sure I'll be doing some more writing about the USA horses on at the races. And I'm going to be back on Sky Sports Racing ahead of Ascot, and I'll be out at Ascot too, it sounds like, as well, hopefully to give a view on some of the USA runners who will be competing there. It'll be interesting to see if there's any any three-year-olds who make their way over. Very excited to continue to follow 
the USA season with with you all and uh, and hopefully on both at the races and Sky Sports Racing should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and you're going to be yeah. with us as well on the Final Front Podcast as we uh, look ahead to Royal Ascot 4 at the races too, which I'm looking forward to. And of course, we're going to have that man coming up. Oh man, it's great to be here. Wesley Ward, baby, I'm coming back. He's going to be sending over a battalion of horses by the looks of things. So uh, very much looking forward to that. Um, it, it sounds as though Country House, like, like Bill Mott's impression after the race was, we weren't even thinking about the Preakness, and we'll have to see how he is. Belmont was definitely the, the race that we were thinking about. So, like, surely you have to go for the Triple Crown. Surely. I would think so. Unless the horse tells him, gives him signals that it's not the right thing to do. Like Richard Mandela, if the horse gives any indication that it's something isn't, Right. Even things that certain connections would have just tried to go ahead and work on through. I would think that they would happily go the patient route. But assuming he comes back and is fine, the way he's been trained as lightly raced as he's been, no reason he couldn't make a a tilt at the Preakness. Okay, is Omaha Beach going to be back for either the Preakness or the Belmont? I haven't heard yet. Uh, with that with that particular treatment they would do for the entrapped epiglottis, I've heard it's possible to have horses back within a week. So I would think that the two weeks might be enough. Who knows? Mandela, very patient. I could see them being more conservative than that. Be interesting to see what they think about the Belmont distance. But as you said, they, they must have been, felt a little bit. I mean, obviously, they did right by the horse. That's the most important thing. Mm. But if that horse had been right, I mean, isn't he supposed to beat those by three? basically basically yeah. i think that's a very very fair point to make uh are we now in an era where the kentucky derby is just going to be running a slop always what the <laughs> hell is going on <laughs> randomness my friend that's just it is amazing how many sloppy derbies we've had i what we'd have to get in i had a a horse playing meteorologist on the in the money players podcast to comment on the weather ahead of the derby we'll have to ask him if there's any causality between uh, climate change and rainy first saturdays in may but i'm pretty sure he's going to tell us it's just been random and we'll eventually have a derby run on a beautiful spring day again Emmett, before you mentioned Gary West, and I, I, I think he's sort of a funny, again, the way media works in 2019, he's getting pilloried. He, he, his original quotes were all class, and then one reporter must have got him. You know, he's an older dude. He's in his 70s, and I'm sure it was just a really emotional, exhausting, you know, whatever it was, 36 hours before this interview he gave, where he finally kind of went. He went a little bit left and was talking about <laughs> quitting quitting the game and, and all this stuff. and. Look, I get it. it's real easy to criticize in private texts. I said some mean things about it, too, when I heard it. But I, my temptation here is to give the guy a break and let him speak a little bit more. I don't know. You know, this could be a, a Steve Coburn, California Chrome situation when he went on TV and whined about uh, toneless costing California Chrome the Triple Crown because he hadn't run in all three races and had a bunch of really ridiculous quotes about that and he deserved all the pillorying let's see when west is talked to again if he doesn't back down and go back to sort of the classy initial response and if he does double down on the whiny i'm going to take my ball and go home stance we can criticize him then but let's give the guy a break it's been a rough couple of days i'm selling all my horses screw (laughs) this i'm out of the game this is absolute (laughs) bullshit man what the hell what the hell man 
I come here, we win this race, I mount a woman on the ground, live on NBC, that poor woman's got to try and get up, her back's destroyed, she's gone, I'm getting sued by her, she's going to be addicted to Vicodin, I've got myself a Kentucky Derby, I don't care, I'm going down there to meet Nick Luck, and the next thing you guys are taking it off me? Man, fuck this shit, man. This is ridiculous. I'm going into the Greyhound racing business, man. They don't take races off you there, and you can do whatever you want. Vanessa, is it me, or is he particularly off today? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Peter. I mean, I'm literally just sat here just not knowing what is going on on this podcast, as in not from you, Peter. I was actually just thinking as you were explaining things there, how I, how, as I mentioned before, how little I know about American racing and like this Kentucky Derby thing really like push that to the forefront because I just, you know, over here it's hard enough to follow racing over here, let alone across the sea as well. But why we love having Peter on Sky Sports Racing and why he'll probably be over and involved in Royal Ascot and on probably the he will. He will. He is, sorry. Yeah. Is because it's nice for us to have someone to be able to explain it. And I don't know, Peter, you, you do it very well. You explain what is going on over there in a way that us Brits can understand and can comprehend, whereas a lot of people over there, there's a lot of words, and sometimes I'm not understanding all of it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, well but said. That means well a said. lot to me. I really appreciate that. And, I mean, from years of listening to the work of both of you, obviously people like Nick Luck, there is a vernacular that's a little bit different between – uh, the UK and Ireland and the USA. And I do uh, through practice and, and through having so many friends over there, I got to give a shout out to my man, uh, Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today through people like that. I feel like I, I found the language that it's not like I speak one way to Americans and one way to English people about racing. I try to find the words that mean something in both jurisdictions, as opposed to going from one bit of slang to the other. <laughs> But the, I see, I see. But the thing that I, I love about you as well, though, is that I'll see you at Cheltenham. Well, assuming I can actually ever bloody board a plane again and travel again with this. Look, I know I keep mentioning in every podcast, you've no idea how infuriating it is to sometimes not even be able to leave the house. Like, Jesus, today I'm in absolute bits and it doesn't help the fact that I had to stay up all night watching Game of Thrones because I was terif- <laughs> terrified that Peter would, would spoil it on me. But just in, I'm just in pieces, man. I'm in pieces. Um, I, I, I suspect that the jockey Manuel Franco is in pieces as well today. Uh, positive spirit, a faller, clipped heels and fell. Uh, Jaywalk ends up getting demoted, having finished sixth initially. Javier Castellano on the naughty step and uh, push back to 13th in the end. The Kentucky Oaks on Sky Sports Racing was won by Serengeti Empress. Um, did it well in the end, beating a daughter of Candy Ride, Luria, with Lady Apple in the, the familiar colors that we see here in Europe for Phoenix Thurbert Racing quite a bit. But um, the big story here for me was, was Positive Spirit taking that tumble. Uh, daughter of Pioneer by the Nile, very, very soon after the start, clips heels and falls, and that again could have been could have been awful. And I wonder if that incident painted the picture for the stewards, and they're like, "We got it. We've got to stamp this stuff out. We got to take action here." It's interesting. The start of dirt races, you do see a lot of things that, technically, according to the way I would read the rules 
would be DQs that aren't called. I think they allow the, the that quite literal jockeying for position because of how important that part of the race is in on the dirt, especially in a tight two-turn configuration like the one mile and an eighth Kentucky Oaks is. I think that we just got really lucky early. In, I mean, one difference is that early in the race, they are going slower. They're not up to speed yet, and that definitely contributes to a horse's ability to you know, not have something like that be catastrophic. And apparently, I mean, the last reports I heard about Positive Spirit were that, that she came back absolutely fine, which mm, is which is thankfully. great news. If that happens like it almost did, you've probably seen the video. Maybe you have. Maybe you're not as uh, intense on this stuff. But if you look at the videos of just how close the heels came to clipping in the Derby, I mean, we're talking about inches from. And if it happens at that point in the race on the turn at, at ramping back up to full speed coming out of the turn ooh, someone I mean, could I, have died like, yeah seriously yeah. like I, I'm, I'm talking about equine fatality and human fatality like somebody could have died and and i, I really i hope it never happens i i so hope it never happens because the, the men and women of our sport are risking their lives for us every single day and, um, and I, I, I reviewed I reviewed Punchestown with Jay Mangan yesterday, and that's available for you now if you haven't heard it yet on attheraces.com and on your podcast app as well. And we talked about Ruby Walsh and the, the injuries that he's sustained over the years and the agony that Ruby Walsh must be in every single day. He has to be in pain. He can't not be. He's broken effectively every single bone in his body. That man is in agony. And he put himself through hell for the love of his sport, but for our entertainment as well and for our enjoyment as well um he risked his life the men and women of our sport are risking their lives every day it is the responsibility of the authorities of racing to ensure their welfare and to ensure their safety and if you allow this kind of thing to continue and you're making a really good point that clipping heels that could have gone so much wrong if you're allowing this kind of thing to happen in the uk in ireland in france in america somebody is going to get seriously hurt and by then it's too late you cannot have a life destroyed and then go oh yeah now we need to change the rules that's why I'm. That's why I'm so much in favor of what they did in the Kentucky Derby, and it could have. It could have easily been what happened to Positive Spirit. She's lucky that she walked away uh, perfectly fine, but that could have played out in the Kentucky Derby, and what a disaster it would have been. And on the biggest stage, the biggest yeah. stage in the world, you know, the Kentucky Derby is such a huge race. The Derby is a huge race. Oh, you you can't take these chances couple of quick follow-ups. One is to just give props to the horsemanship of the riders in behind, uh, you know, on War of Will and Long Range Toddy. Their skill really helped avoid the exact disaster you're referring to. And then to loop, loop it back to the Oaks for another minute, Serengeti Empress very impressed. I, I mean, I thought she had a long shots chance, but one like one like she should have been the favorite in the race obviously it bounced back from that bleeding episode on the last day but just to point out people who don't think and I'm, i think everybody listening to this show i'm preaching to the choir here but it's a point that deserves repeating is that there's a, a notion that people in racing outsiders sometimes think that the PETA crowd will think and i don't mean to get you going on another rant about PETA, emmett but they they will think that you know horses are just a commodity and the people in racing don't care they're exploiting them or whatever <laughs> terminology you want to use but tom amos here he has the biggest moment one of the biggest moments of his entire life winning the oaks and one of the first things he's worried about is to make sure that positive spirit's okay wow. and 
you know, that's not that's not enlightened self-interest. That's somebody who loves horses and who cares about the game. And Amos is supposed to be, by all accounts, one of the good guys. I don't actually have a personal relationship with him. He's a good friend of a friend, though. And I've just heard nothing but nice things and was very happy for him and his for his uh, nonagenarian parents who are still around to get to experience that win through him, even though I didn't make a dollar off it. I, I was pleased with the Serengeti Empress result there and obviously pleased at the at the at the semi miracle that we didn't have a, a fatality. Well, it's yes. a bit it's a bit like Nikki Henderson in the Triumph Ferdinand. Tragically, we did have a fatality with Sir Eric and, and Nikki Henderson breaking down in tears with Lydia Hislop. Um, yeah. You know, he, he kept on talking, but he started to cry and he was crying for Sir Eric. And, um, you know, he, he's got a real good horse there in uh, in his juvenile hurdle champion. Um, he backed it up at entry, but you know, people love trainers, jockeys, owners, um, grooms, stable lasses, stable lads. Everybody connected to racing loves it. They love it and they love these horses and, and they want to care for them as much as possible and, and don't for one second think they don't. Uh, the Kentucky Oaks was run on fast ground. The the Derby's run on, on a slop. Your thoughts on the the current scandal that is surrounding dirt racing in America, particularly on the West Coast. There's some very, very horrific stories coming out of uh, Santa Anita in particular. How, what, yeah. how, what's the resolution of this going to be? Because this can't continue as well. It feels like much too late. They've now taken the appropriate measures of bringing in the old track superintendent who understood that surface better than anybody. They have got that surface back to where it's to its slower, safer old self. I think... More than anything else, the problems here were a slowness to react to the initial problem when in the first few weeks of the Santa Anita meet, which started on the 20 on Boxing Day, uh, you had more fatalities in a few weeks than you'd had than, than you should have in a year. And yet they pressed on and there were more fatalities. And then all of a sudden they had created they'd taken a terrible situation and, and, you know, basically thrown gasoline on the fire with all the major media scrutiny that came in. Then there was the terrible decision, in my view, uh, from a crisis management point of view and just from a reality point of view to bring to bring PETA into the mix to be essentially oh, consulting Jesus on Christ. how the rules of racing should be changed out there. I just felt that muddied the waters and reminded me of the old politician's trick. You don't like the conversation, let's change the conversation. Instead of talking about an unsafe <laughs> racing surface, the real problem, we're talking about whips and Lasix. Now look, I'm actually of the belief whip rules should be more regulated than they are in the USA and that you know the Lasix question is such a that's like the third rail of American horse racing chatter but I'm not opposed to the idea that that's an issue that should be examined I'll just say it that way but neither of those things had anything to do with the rash of breakdowns at Santa Anita this winter and it became very unfortunate that that got wrapped up in the conversation mm -hmm. so now we've got Santa Anita back to a safe racing surface but the anti-marketing, there, some horses have shipped out of town. You see the field sizes out there for the racings recently. It's not, it's not good, and they're they're running under they're running under sort of their own rules in terms of uh, in terms of lessening the, the dose of Lasix, etc. They, they've got a lot of problems, but fortunately, on the positive side, they've been running safe racing, and we'll have to see what happens. I'd like to see them slowly find a way to build back up to 
what they once were, which is really one of the jewels of American racing. I mean, that's where the Breeders' Cup is going to be this year. I mean, we, which is kind of amazing with with as uh, as as wild as this story has been and as awful as this story has been out there. And it does seem like the Breeders' Cup is going to go ahead as planned unless something radical changes in the next couple months. But I mean, tickets have been sold, flights have been booked and all that stuff. But I'm hoping that now that they've addressed the core problem, they can start getting on with the business of running a racetrack. But the way that the crisis has been managed to this point, it, it doesn't fill me with a lot of faith. I, I would certainly not mind seeing some some bigger picture changes made out there. We're just going to have to see what happens. I was going to ask you, actually, is the Breeders' Cup going to continue at Santa Anita? So I'm glad you, you, you covered that as well. That, of course, will be live on Sky Sports Racing. I hope. We're, we're at the end of that. I hope that they've solved things now. Um, do you think that the there will be a return to the tapita, the, the tapita surface, that they'll go back to all weather? Or is it so much ingrained in the American psyche about dirt racing that Nick Luck's argument, for example, that, that dirt racing is such a uh, an institution in America and it's part of the legacy of the breeding over there that they can't get away from it? I would like to see more synthetic tracks introduced, and I'd like to experiment with it essentially in a smart way where it's introduced over a period of time where horsemen learn what they're doing with it. I think if you – there were a lot of problems. They tried synthetic tracks a number of years ago. As we as we saw, but they rushed. They sort of rushed it in, and then they rushed it out. It was very much Mm. of a unfortunately like what you see the the businessman mentality that you see unfortunately sometimes in racing, especially in the states and in all business in the states and around the world, really when it gets a little too capitalistic, where where people are much more worried about the next quarter than they're worried about what's going to happen in three years. And so you see a lot of these, what I would call, you to borrow a professional wrestling term, hot-shotted strategies, where, oh, it's it's all got to be synth. Oh, it's it's all got to go. No. What if we try to gradually introduce this in a in overtime in a way where you actually, for example, the, the synthetic tracks that were introduced due to different like environmental uh, restrictions, they weren't the sort of tested synthetic tracks that had worked in other states or over in England. It was sort of like a a hodgepodge in some instances. I think I'm referring specifically to the pro ride that was out at Santa Anita. And I may be getting some facts wrong, but the the general truth of what I'm saying is there. You can't, that doesn't work that way. This stuff is supposed to be carefully calculated to promote safety. You can't just be changing the rules and watering when they say you're not supposed to water and all this stuff. It's gotta bring it in slowly don't have the onus of having to run X amount of races on it. Start it with a training track. Maybe it could become uh, the winter track for a few months. I don't think it makes sense, given the history of American racing, to get rid of dirt racing. But I think there's probably a way that racing in general can be conducted in a much safer manner. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if synthetic surfaces could be a part of that. Unfortunately, I don't know that anybody here has the patience to to do this right, but who knows? In all of these situations we're talking about, as unfortunate, I mean, really, as tragic as the Santa Anita horse deaths are, anytime there's a crisis, there's also an opportunity to 
find a way to do things better. I'm hoping that happens with both the way that racing is run in the United States and also hopefully with the, with, with the way that races are, are adjudicated. I'd love to see, even if we stick with the current rules, I'd like to see them adjudicated more consistently and I'd like to see the messages to the punters communicated much more clearly than what we've seen. Well said. Um, I can tell you, much to Vanessa Ryle's delight, that at currently the Final Furlong podcast is number 37 in the sports chart in the United States of America. So that's fantastic. And let me then give this message to our American listeners. First of all, thank you very much for tuning into the show. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Hopefully you can understand what Vanessa and I are saying and we're not talking too much (laughs) garbage. Uh, And also, don't allow PETA near horse racing. They are psychos. They do not think that people should have pets. This is an actual this is an actual policy that they have. The founder of PETA is against the idea of pet ownership. You shouldn't have a pet according to the to the person who founded PETA. Do not let these people near horse racing. They will destroy it. They want it gone. They basically don't even want racehorses to exist. So keep them away from the sport. And aside from that, move on and continue what you're doing. I agree with everything you said, and I'm glad we got that rant in after all. Yeah, no, it had to be said. Uh, I've, <laughs> gone to, I've gone to war with them on Twitter, and I will continue the fight. Um, Peter, Peter, what's, what I've realized on this podcast, because um, Emmett mentioned it earlier, is how screwed up his back is. He's obviously very on the drugs at the moment. So that's <laughs> obviously something that you're probably aware of, having listened to the podcast and been on the podcast a lot. But just to clarify, and for any new American listeners, um, you know, Emmett, Emmett does have a painkiller problem. Lasix on. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't have a painkiller problem. I have a pain problem, which I've, Sorry. I've, which I've yes, now been do. told. That's true. Which I've yes. now been told cannot be operated on, which is a serious bloody problem. But, yes, by the way, actually, we should clarify that. that. That did come out wrong. He's not addicted to painkillers. Yeah. He has a lot of pain yeah, I've, all I've, the time. I have a trapped nerve and a slip disc, and I went to a physio, and uh, the physio was meant to be a genius, and the physio is built like... Peter, me, and Vanessa times five and managed to put my left hip out of alignment. So now I've got lower back and upper back pain and the upper back pain can't be operated on. So, Pete, you're bringing over that Vicodin for me, aren't you? Hey, I thought we were going to talk about that off the air. Oh, oh, so, oh sorry. Was that not being edited out? No? Oh, oh crap. Okay. Uh, a horse that we were very excited about seeing, the prospect of, at Royal Ascot, where Miss Vanessa Ryle will be, and it will be live on Sky Sports Racing, was Newspaper of Record. We talked about her on the weekend preview, Pete, and she ran in the 617 on Sky Sports Racing and got stuffed. What happened here? <laughs> I wish I knew, and I haven't done any personal digging on it. I mean, she looked to be about 1 to 20 as they were turning in. (laughs) I mean, it seemed like it was going to be free money. And the temptation is to say, oh, maybe she was a short horse. But Chad Brown, he just typically does not run short horses. They come back to the races even after long breaks fully formed. Just to expand, when you say short horses, you mean short of work? 
Correct. Correct. Un, unfit, you know, something like that. But it's not but it's not. It, I'm telling you, it's not that in this case, but it definitely there's a, a, a temptation, I think, just sort of a knee jerk. You see one like that come back and you say, oh, well, she'll come on for the run, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. That's not typically how his run. Usually just they come back and they run their race. So from that point of view, got to give full marks to the winner, Concrete Rose, who ran a blinder. I mean, newspaper record was too clear of the third still, I believe, uh, just come going back on memory. Yeah. It'll be right. interesting to see what happens and what what how this affects what Chad Brown's going to do with her. Maybe there's something about her as an individual that does mean she'll come on for this run for fitness. But I would just say there are some trainers who you can just bank on that improvement second off a layoff. For me, he's not necessarily one. They come back fit. So that's going to make her difficult to bet on the next time at what will no doubt be a really short price again uh, based on whatever narrative is going to be presented about what happened the last day. But unfortunately, I kind of have to throw up my hands and I apologize. I mean, people who people who took my advice and took the one to two when we did the last show, I mean, you were getting the value. But uh, sadly, as my friend uh, Barry Faulkner, the wise old owl, likes to point out, you can't eat value. Barry and Faulkner, absolute that, legend. That's where we ended up, unfortunately, the other day. The uh, the, the box exactor king, Barry Faulkner. Uh, <laughs> absolute legend. Had the pleasure of meeting him last, last two years ago and last year again. He's an absolute legend. Um, should we be bringing Concrete Rose? Should we be campaigning that she comes over to Royal Ascot? She's only been beaten the once, and that was the, the Breeders' Cup behind newspaper of record, but she's, she's won every other start, and she was good here. I would think Nick Smith would be making that phone call. Let's put it that way. And it's just one of these things where connections need to decide what they're in racing for. You know, if it's just about if it's just about the financial side of things, you can make more money closer to home. But if you want the experience of a lifetime, really a singular thing that you can do, I think it makes all the sense in the world to point to Royal Ascot. The connections I've talked to who've gone over there, win, lose, or draw, have had amazing life experiences. So there are some very sharp American pundits who who don't get it and, and, and shake their heads at the idea of, well, why would you go there when you can run for all this money in, in New York, for example? And it's just not my way of looking at the world. To me, I'm someone who... I value experiences over money um, fairly obviously from the way I've chosen to live my life for those who know me. But <laughs> I, I think that connect, horse racing connections have the have the ability to look at the world that way, too. And if you look at the world that way, ask it should be on should be on the list, not just for owners, but but uh, for fans and, and horse players as well. It's an amazing place. And I, I'm excited to be heading back there myself this year and hopefully doing some more work with the Ascot team as well. Well, Vanessa Ryle is an ambassador of Ascot, uh, and uh, she'll be one of the first to, to verify just what an incredible experience it is. But was it Kenny McPeak, Vanessa, brought the, the, the horse over for the Oaks and, uh, oh god it all went horribly wrong but he was brilliant he was brilliant on social media he loved it um uh, yeah. he, he was partying you know the party they do after the derby where there's um calvin harris tune's been banged out and he's there in the middle of everybody with his wife going hey we're having a hell of a time um look you you can't buy experiences like that it's it's fantastic uh, the only thing we ascot i was gonna say we at ascot i just like to clarify i'm actually not an ambassador of ascot but yes, um 
the, the only thing that Asgard pretty much can't get spot on for you is the weather. But other than that, they are in a different league, really, in terms of, like Peter says, in terms of a racing experience. Like, put it this way, I go racing a lot in England and have the privilege of going racing a little bit abroad as well. And even, and I've been to Ascot a lot and Royal Ascot a lot, and still the novelty doesn't wear off, if that makes sense. You still walk in and you feel the sense of occasion. The Tuesday of Royal Ascot is akin to the Tuesday of Cheltenham, as everyone knows. It's just high-octane, high-class, high-quality racing. And it's in an atmosphere that is literally just very, very, very different to any other horse racing atmosphere that I've ever been to anyway. And, uh, yeah, they just... um, I hope a horse like... You know, I, I hope I hope that more Americans, like you're saying, Peter, sort of embrace the wave goodbye to maybe an extra zero on the end of their <laughs> prize money and say hello to kind of the experience they'll go away with because I personally believe it's worth it, worth every penny. Yeah. Vanessa, I'm a, little, I'm a little heartbroken here. All this time I assumed you were a royal and, uh, <laughs> and had vested ownership in Ascot. Now I find out you're not even an official ambassador. What's going no, on? No, I know. Sorry to break all the dreams. I'm actually just like the opposite of any royalty. Um, in fact, even in Yorkshire, I'm a long way off royalty. But <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Emmett, Emmett seems to think I'm the poshest person he knows. So he likes whoa, to whoa, 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 whoa. I never said that. I did not say that you're the poshest person I know. But however... <laughs> You are definitely an ambassador for Ascot, whether you want to be or not. You have connections that some people could only dream of. And there are residences that you have access to that, well, let's just say the great unwashed could only dream of those as well. Uh, people just ask me to these places as, as entertainment. That's literally, I'm like the joke. I, I, I'm sorry. Did you, can you confirm or deny that you have lived and possibly are still living in a residence owned by senior political figures within the British establishment. That is so unfair. That is actually so And that'll do. That'll answer. That, uh, that, you see, that answers the question. That answers the question. Thank you very much. Vanessa Ryle, incredibly posh, unbelievably posh, but also... One of the nicest people you will ever meet in your entire life. Uh, by the way, Damien English wants to have a drink with you at Chester. Ah, uh, what? Yes, Damien English would love to have a drink with you at Chester. Why? Is it, why? Because I told him that you're such a lovely person and that you'll be there. Oh, hi, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> Damien is listening to this now, and I'm not going to tell him. I should WhatsApp him and tell him. He's a runner at Chester during the week, and he's probably crashing the car. Jesus Christ, Kennedy, what are you doing? Uh, shall, shall we go back to Newmarket and bring Binny in, Mabs Cross? We better had quickly, but this podcast is out of control. Oh, but... yeah. Well, they all are these days. Uh, Mabs yeah, Cross wins are, yeah. the Palace House Stakes for the second year in a row. Uh, also, winner on Arc Day as well in the... Pridel Abbey and uh, Sergei Prokofiev was sent off a very, very short price favourite. I actually didn't think he ran badly in the context of things, but Maps Cross is one hell of a mare, Vanessa Ryle. 
Yeah, she's just phenomenal and she's come out again, a seasonal reappearance with a £7 penalty and done that to some pretty decent performers. Equilateral finally kind of stepped up to the plate and looked to deliver what he seems to be showing at home to connections again. But uh, they raced a long way apart from each other. Equilateral was the far side and Mab's cross was the near side, not on the rail, just nearer to us. But um, she was she was very, very good. And, you know, this race is amazing. It's the stats about it is produced I think it's nine of the ten horses that have won it previously have gone on to win a group one in a year in the same season and she obviously already has her group one win but you'd hope that she looks and connection said after the race she looks to be bigger and stronger and just a bit more developed as you would expect with a horse um over the winter and she's come out and done that under the penalty I mean it just was it was it was a very very impressive win and she's a phenomenal horse to own and we've all kind of last year I think got sucked into her connection and uh, the people behind her and if she can there's absolutely on that evidence there's absolutely no reason to think that she can't a step on again and be a bit fitter and race sharp and hopefully at some point bag another another group one i don't see why she can't i really I don't and um I, I mean i was saying i'm not being funny about it i was saying in the podcast i couldn't believe the price she was and uh, off she goes and wins. Sergei Prokofiev. Let's deal with him briefly, shall we? He he was he needs to be held up. He needs to come through late. To me, this was an example of Ryan Moore trying to educate him again. I don't think they'll be too disheartened with that performance. Mm, maybe not too disheartened, but I think judging by the price, the grades, the penalty, the weights, they would have hoped to have won that. Don't you? I mean Oh yeah. I I think there's I think they'll definitely be disappointed. Are they giving up hope? Of course not. But I think that looked to me like a very winnable race for him. And although he was given a fair bit to do, that isn't that's how he's always ridden. Um, and he couldn't get the job done. And he was a, quite a way off getting the job done, if we're being deadly honest. Mm. Um, but he's a horse that was so sparkling, has put in such sparkling and impressive performances. And those linger in the mind. It's hard to really um, totally give up hope with him on his on his two bits of form so far this season. Um, because although he hasn't done what he's meant to have done, um, you know, you're always just thinking that engine is there, that spark is there, we've just got to get it right. And he is one of these sprinters that when it falls right, it will fall right properly. And um, he'll probably put in another impressive performance. Is That's what I feel anyway. Yeah, good ground, fast pace, big field. You could see him running well in, in a king stand. Yeah, I mean, you know, he might not win it, but they tend to beat each other and there's not really a standout sprinter. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs a big race. I, I would imagine that Royal Ascot remains on the agenda for him. Uh, Communique under Sylvester D'Souza wins for Mark Johnston in the Roaring Line Jockey Club Stakes. Uh, what did you make yeah. of his performance? He gets the better of Defoe. Coronet. I think it's fair to say Sylvester won that race, really, oh, big for me. Time. Yeah. He was just that in terms of timing. Um, and having a clock in your mind, that old cliche, and the way that race was run, it was over a mile four, and that horse, you know, 
is has not been the group two performer up until now. And yes, there's, you know, points to be made about what his role was in the race or whatever angle you want to go at. But as Mark Johnson said afterwards, and as they are known for, you know, they don't run a horse in a race unless they think they have a very good chance of winning it. And he made the trip down from Yorkshire with their other runner. And obviously the other runner was much more fancied, but he was just given the perfect ride. He bounced out in front. He got an easy lead. He was loping along with his ears pricked. And then with five furlongs to run, Sylvester goes, whoa, whoa, and they all stack up behind him and he gets a nice little breather in and then everything starts to come off the bridle from the three furlong mark and even then you knew he wasn't, you know, as a Mark Johnson horse being ridden like that, you knew he wasn't going to be for catching. Well, I thought he wasn't anyway. And then he just kicks on again and he holds on. I just thought in terms of race riding and getting it right, Sylvester there was just seen at his absolute best. In terms of Defoe, disappointing again, but a bit of a strange race. I'm not sure what the what the tactics were meant to be there because he was sort of sat in behind a horse that was getting a very easy lead and didn't look to be setting much of a pace at all. And then he sort of dropped him back out and wide and then he found himself back on the inside again. I don't know. I, I think the race was a little bit of a mess for Defoe and he's another horse who's now disappointed twice. Um I am. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it was the jockey's finest hour. But also, this horse now has to prove that he still. Um, yeah, he has something to prove. I think we'll leave it at that. Coronet, no excuses really in terms of the actual race and how it was run. Didn't think that she. There wasn't many excuses for her to the. Um, on first viewing anyway but what I did think was looking at her in the paddock and then afterwards and just thinking about it a bit more I do think she's probably got other targets in mind down the line and this was probably a decent starting place um, but I wouldn't be giving up hope on her she's a very very consistent affiliate group two group three level and group one well placed in group ones um, and definitely not giving up hope with her but I just think maybe that wasn't her target. Whereas Communique, you know, has got a group one, a group two there, um, had the benefit of a run. And yeah, well, well targeted race and well won, I think I'd say. Yeah, to be fair, Mark Johnston, I mean, he's having a, a terrific start to the season, obviously winning the. Uh, the big all-weather championships race and a bit of an upset, but uh, to be fair, did it well. Uh, that was live on Sky Sports Racing and that was a fantastic performance as well. Um, Maxad is now 8-1 to one for the Oaks after winning the Pretty Polly Stakes, the listed race. How much of, a, of an Oaks contender do you think she is? Or will we be seeing her on Sky Sports Racing in the Prix de Diane, the uh, French Oaks instead? Yeah, I think she has multiple entries, doesn't she? Um, very impressive. I mean, just like a piece of work. Mm. Uh, very hard not to be impressed with that. Uh, afterwards, again, William Haggis, he was sort of, you could tell he was mighty pleased with her. How could you not be? And mighty impressed. And yeah, she's got to be well up there in the French Oaks, English Oaks. Um, so they're just bringing her along quietly, but she's managed to go and do that here um yeah i mean not, not much else to say it was it was a job done from the from midway wasn't it mm. i kind of think she'd be better off staying to 10 furlongs i think the french oaks might suit her better i'm not sure you want to really stretch her out for the mile four just yet yeah i mean she looks as though 
maybe not just yet, but I think those connections, well, you'll have to see, but I think they'd probably be very tempted to go for the English Oaks, mm. personally, I think. Um, and yeah, maybe further down the line, a mile and a half will suit her better. But hey, either way, she's two out of two so far this season, both at Newmarket, and she's got to go and, um, you know, she'll have to step up again, won't she? But... Very, very impressive. Oh, she's excited. It was probably, it's probably the only thing to point out, I suppose, is I'm not sure that race will add up to a huge amount in the future, potentially. And, you know, she's left shambolic behind by five lengths, but I'm not entirely sure how much depth after that there will be in that race. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point to make as well. Uh, anything else on the weekend, Vanessa, that you would like to highlight? Um... Do, 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 do. anything else on the weekend I had a nice time at badminton <laughs> I had a nice time at Punchestown visited Chester in between had a very manic week and now I've got a cold sore so that's not good uh, oh no that, nothing else to add really uh, what about you Peter Tifornatel is there anything else that you'd like to add from the weekend Did you, <laughs> did you see the 2000 guineas my friend I did, of course. Yeah, I watched. I watched all the racing. I just I didn't have a whole lot. You, I don't feel like your excellent uh, guest today left too much on the bone in terms of uh, in terms of those races. But I, I always watch with interest, and it's always fun to try to figure out, you know, which uh, who's going to end up where and what paths different horses are going to take. And and you know, very interested always to get your all's takes on it. And you know, we'll be seeing shipping in both directions here before too long with horses coming over for Ascot. And of course, I'll never, never too early to start thinking about Breeders' Cup either. Yeah. Peter, yeah. Talking about my social calendar and the Breeders' Cup. If I come over to the Breeders' Cup, will you look after me, Peter? Thousand percent. That's the easiest yes of the day. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it all sorted out. It's a, Santa Anita is actually great fun. Um, you know, put, put, putting aside the difficulties they've had out there, it, it's historically been a great site for the Breeders' Cup. You're right there in Los Angeles. Whatever you like to 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 do for for leisure, there's all kinds of great food. I'm sure we could find a high tea somewhere in Pasadena for you, and oh, we'll have a great time. Great, I might take you up on this offer. <laughs> I hope so. And of course, it's all live on Sky Sports Racing. So, Vanessa, you can find an excuse to get over there as well. Maybe we could I, do like a final Furlong podcast live from California. That's can a great you imagine idea. me and Peter were together on a final Furlong podcast in person, but you were stuck with your bad back in Ireland. We oh. just put you on the old mute button oh. and crack on. <laughs> well, that would be to the enjoyment of some, I'm sure, and the devastation of others. <laughs> Um, Mark Walsh has suffered a broken right tibia. That's going to hurt. Uh, he had Ugh. an operation on Friday at Blanchestown Hospital, and we wish him the very best of luck. He had a fantastic season. Uh, both him and Barry Garrity get well soon. Um, Vanessa, you didn't get the chance to talk about the retirement of Ruby Walsh. Your thoughts on that? No, I'm, I was there, actually, and it was quite alarming. I must admit, it was a bit of a weird one because um, very kindly someone from Punchestown, I don't know why, took it upon themselves to look after me. Um, I'll tell you why. There. I'll tell you why. It's because of your excellent work on the Final Furlong podcast. That's why. Yeah, something like that. But either way, um, I got to watch the Gold Cup from the infield and I was driven around next to the track. Oh, I in... saw this video. This was yeah. unbelievable. Pete, this was... The, the most VIP of VIP treatment. Vanessa Ryle got to watch the Punchestown Gold Cup 
the way the Queen watches the Ascot Gold Cup. It was ridiculous. Yeah, don't worry, Peter. When I come over to the Breeders' Cup, you don't have to provide that sort of hospitality <laughs> for me. I don't um, helicopter transport and all that horse-drawn carriage. We can, yeah. we can dispense with those formalities. Thanks. Um, no, but basically, so watch the Gold Cup from the Range Rover on the inside track. And then, luckily, the person that was driving it managed to kind of follow Ruby in, as in when he goes down the chute to go in. Um, we were just behind him, just driving. Then we jumped out, and then he's obviously a good maybe 50 yards in front of us. But then we got back to the winner's enclosure to give him a cheer in and all of that. And then it was just, you know, that lull after a big race, and you're just kind of trying to take in the replay and think about what's just happened and why Albin Photo was beaten and did little. And then he's being interviewed, and then all of a sudden it just suddenly, you know, he was saying what he said and what went around Twitter loads and did that little answer and, no, you won't see me on the back of a horse ever again. And... And it suddenly sunk in and it was like, shit. And there was a real, I don't know how to describe it. There was there was a bit of a weird lull, as in it wasn't, obviously then people applauded and then lots of people flooded to the winner's enclosure. But there was definitely a sense of sort of silence and just a bit like how I feel about, like in that moment also going forwards, it was a bit like, what, what now? What, mm. what do we do now? <laughs> like, what? And there was that sense of, oh, God, this is big, and we're here, and now what? What's going to happen now? And I mean, on the day, what's going to happen now? But also, like, going forward in terms of Team Willie Mullins, jockey bookings, big race rides, what's going to happen now? And that was the only feeling I had, really. And it was just a bit odd. And then all the jockeys came out, and, yeah, it was a strange one, but God, you know, what hasn't been said about Ruby Walsh, I don't need to say it, but he'll just be missed and he was a master and we won't see the likes of him again anytime soon, I don't think, because he had it all, the mind, the talent and the personality as well. You know, that like Ronnie O'Sullivan type of thing in snooker, he... Um, you know, it wasn't just his riding ability. There's lots of good riders out there. And there's lots of riders that get to the very, very top on their just sheer horsemanship. But I think what we all loved about Ruby is that thing of when he was talking, we, we're listening. And obviously, he's going to be talking about horse racing a lot more going forwards by the sounds of it in his second career. But I just loved the way he can talk about a race, the way he can talk about a ride. And that, for me and then his talent in the saddle was what made him such an engaging character. And now we're not going to have that in terms of the actual race riding, but hopefully we'll have him on our TV screens a little bit more. Peter, from an international perspective, you are a huge National Hunt fan, and that's one of the great things about you and why I love having you on the show, your your love and knowledge of American racing, but also of European racing. And, and obviously, Ruby Walsh will have been someone you will have watched very, very closely over the years as well. Um, your reaction to his retirement? Absolute legend, and it felt like an appropriate way for one of the best I've seen to go out, going out on his own terms, at the top of the game, I love that that's the end to this story and not being forced to retire due to injury. That really feels like a triumph that's worth – that's an obvious point that others have made, but one that's worth underlining. And it's something when you get a, a jump jockey who's famous in New York even – well, at least in the Irish bars where I hang out. But still, to, to be able to gain international celebrity for a, for a sport that you know struggles to, to get much of a toehold in the busy sporting landscape over here that just speaks to uh not just his talent but also his uh 
his like personality and his his charisma and his celebrity, all things that will serve him well in that new career that you guys were referring to. Yeah, 100%. I also think, Vanessa, that racing's never going to be the same again. Like Ruby, Ruby Walsh was on like so for Tony McCoy and I said this to Jane Mangan yesterday on the Punchestown review for At The Races Tony was about the numbers and he was definitely a brilliant jockey and many will say he was the greatest of all time and he's an absolute gentleman he's a brilliant analyst he was an unbelievable jockey and we'll never see his likes in terms of determination and strength and will to win but we'll also never see someone who also had that power but the class like if Paul Carberry had class, then Ruby Walsh also had that, but the power of McCoy as well. Ruby just had everything. And he kept coming back after horrific injuries to ride and uh, again at the highest level and do so continuously. And yes, he had this thing at the last. Kevin's made a good point in the past that would have destroyed people mentally. It didn't destroy him. He kept going and he kept succeeding. And he was the big man for the big occasion, but he was also the big man for the small occasion. He just got it right year after year, almost every single time you're watching a race, where should the jockey be? Well, wherever Ruby is, that's the right position to be in. The man was a genius and there are great talents there. I mean, Paul Townend is a terrifically talented jockey. Rachel Blackmore. Briny Frost, we're in good hands. We've got a lot of talented young people coming through. Jack Kennedy, no relation. But there's there's a lot of very, very talented jockeys to look forward to. Barry Garrity, uh, Davy Russell, still going strong. These are terrific jockeys. But Ruby, Ruby was a diamond. He was one in a million. Yeah, I think, yeah. No, summed up very nicely, really. I think you're right. But, you know, at the same time, we all, we often say, or oh, we won't see another like him, or it won't be the same again. But it's amazing how these things come back around. Obviously, I don't mean these individuals. I just mean, um, you know, who knows who will be riding big race winners year in, year out? Aka Ruby Walsh in twenty years' time. Um, and so, you know, I'm reluctant to say there won't ever be another like him. But he was definitely a one-off. Definitely, um, you know, he, yeah, he. It's it's sad, really. It is sad. I've only ever known racing with Ruby Walsh riding big race winners at every big festival on the television yeah. growing up. That me, was just the way it was. Me too. Ru- like, yeah, Ruby we we Walsh. we've both grown up with this, and it's just strange that McCoy you is know, retired. Like he, yeah, he walks down that Cheltenham shoot after a big race winner. Even if he's had a bad week, I mean, in the good weeks, the cheers of Ruby, Ruby, Ruby are just ridiculous. But in the, in the, even in the bad weeks when he has a winner at Cheltenham, the crowd still screams Ruby, Ruby, Ruby at him, and he reacts. Yeah, and it, that it, that only really happens with him. You know, it it that vibe doesn't really continue on to anyone else he only really has that rapport at the moment with the crowds and the punters latched on to him because he kept delivering the goods um but of course somebody else will fill that, that that role and will do it as well and will ride those winners as well i would have thought it's just a matter of who and when but um yeah look he'll be greatly missed but it's all been said hasn't it 
if you haven't seen it and, and you have access to it, I strongly recommend that you watch Ortiz's coverage of the Punchestown Gold Cup because it's just priceless. Um, <laughs> so at, at the time when Ruby starts doing that celebration, like Ruby's done funny celebrations in the past, not Christoph Sumion style, but he has. So it's easy in hindsight to go, oh, he's retiring. No, he doesn't interview uh, with RTE straight after the race like most jockeys do. Doesn't give any hint of anything there. Um, but Ted Walsh starts crying. <laughs> and he's fighting the tears back. And Robert Hall, his longtime broadcast partner and the anchor of RTE Racing, is now put in a really, really awkward position. Because he basically knows. He's been told by Ted, essentially. But he can't say it because he needs he needs Ruby to say it. And and so he starts just saying things along the lines of, well, uh, my goodness, I, I mean, what a historic day and what, what a glorious career. And um, oh, yes. God. And, and then Jane Mangan is stuck in the middle of this. And, and you can see it all play out, Vanessa, from the point of view of, I can see the broadcast truck and I can see a director going, Jane, talk, Jane, just, just talk, just say anything. And and she starts talking about what a great performance it is from Kenboy because Jane's in the dark. You know, she doesn't know either. And she talks about this on on the Punchestown Review on on At The Races and it's worth listening to. But the way the whole thing played out and think about how long it is that walk in to get into the parade ring uh, and and then uh, Tracy's got to go interview Willie Mullins. Willie's only just been told and and there's that close-up image of Ruby putting the hand on his shoulder and saying, boss... Thanks very much, but that's it. I'm retiring, and she's saying to him, you know, and what a great career he's had. And Willie's not giving anything away. He's just like, ah, yeah. And then says, it, it, he's just announced he's retired. All right, okay, because you know I didn't want to be saying anything because it's you know it's Ruby's decision, and then the whole thing was just out of control. But it's like the mic stayed live as Ted is going. Ah, oh, Jesus, yeah, great career. Ah, sure, twenty-five years of it. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, you know yourself. Sure, that's just great. He gets to go out in his own terms. And that's not supposed to be going on the air, and it is. And you're just sitting there going, wait, what's happening? Is he retiring? What? It's, um, it's brilliant. It's really, really brilliant to watch back in, uh, in, in the context of now knowing it is fantastic to go and watch back. Uh, if you can get it, do uh, watch it on the RT player. Um, Game of Thrones, I watched last night. It's on Sky Atlantic tonight at 9 p.m. You can get it on, on demand right now. Peter, have you seen it? Of course. Are you kidding? I watch every one uh, the minute they come out. It was we, we don't want to give any we don't want to give any no. real spoilers here, obviously. But uh, but I, I will say, have you seen this thing online about the I don't know if it's a fake shot or not, but about the the, the potential anachronism. No. I don't think this will spoil anything for anybody. Uh, are you talking about this episode or going forward? No, no. Apparently, I believe it was in this episode. It was a still I saw. It. This could also be completely doctored, and I could be getting fooled, as I know you guys have occasionally gotten fooled by these clever internet hoaxes. But apparently, in the in the there's a banquet scene in the new episode, and if you if you freeze frame, you can see a uh, a Starbucks cup sitting out on on the table. Ah, uh, bullshit! It, no way! Uh, no way! No way! They're, they're too cl- listen. That doesn't happen <laughs> in Game of Thrones. There, there's no stone left unturned. There is. No no Starbucks cup there as a uh, Thormund Giants Bane is getting <laughs> hammer drunk and saying he's 
He's little, he's small, but we fight for him because I saw him ride it. I saw him ride it. Did you see him ride? I saw him ride it. Uh, it's it's brilliant. Um, Game of Thrones. Like the wilding, is- your wildling accent is is preferable to your Scottish accent, by the way. <laughs> uh, probably says anything is preferable to a Scottish yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm waiting now for Mark Johnson to have a pop at me in his blog. Anyway, um, the one thing I will say is the Game of Thrones is is terrific for dialogue it's brilliant for for um story but it's also this show that out of no you're you're going along at a steady pace and you're enjoying the show and then all of a sudden oh my god and that happens in this episode and that's all i'll say it's just god almighty it's incredible uh that's it roy delargi joins me tomorrow as we look ahead to chester japan an absentee uh, he will not be running for Aiden O'Brien, but he will possibly be on Sky Sports Racing in the Lingfield Derby trial. So that'll be interesting. Norway takes his place. There are two uh, other horses there as well. We may very well see Q Gardens and uh, some very interesting horses to watch at Chester as well, including, and I know this is quite Irish bias, but Ryan Moore booked for low sun for Willie Mullins in the... Uh, Chester Cup, which is on Friday. That'll be very interesting. All live on Sky Sports Racing. Uh, Vanessa, you're there. No, I'm not. Well, I am, only for one day. And then I'm at Wolverhampton, and then I'm at Hexham, because I get all the good gigs. The glory of Sky Sports <laughs> Racing. Well, Kevin Blake is there for the whole week. Kevin uh, Blake is there, yeah. Yes. He's going to have a great time. i tell you, on that note, actually, I was up there um, on Friday. Sorry, someone's trying to call me. I don't know why. Go away. Tell him to feck um, off. Yeah, uh, no, someone, um, I was up there on Friday just doing a little bit of a, do you know when they did on Netflix, they did that series, I'm sure you've seen it, Peter, that Seven Days Out, and they did it before the Kentucky Derby? Yes. Yes, so in a meeting, I told somebody to go watch that, some bosses got overexcited, and in a much more minor way, we decided that it'd be quite nice to go somewhere like Chester, with five days still to go before the big day, like before the big festival, and just see how developments are going. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Vanessa, didn't you just have this idea out of nowhere that, oh, do you know what would be a great idea? What if we, what yeah. if we go to Chester, and and we just like do a preview, but five days out. Yes, no, that's exactly what actually happened. Sorry, I don't know what I was talking about before. You're welcome, so Vanessa. You're welcome, idea, Jesus Christ. I went off to Chester, and anyway, basically, I was there on Friday, and a the track looks amazing, the place looks amazing, but the work that's the, the work that goes in, honestly, the numbers are just unbelievable. And if you've never been racing to Chester, just go because the 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 day they put on for you is very, very special. And yeah, the work going into the track and everything around the racing is pretty phenomenal. So they've got a few extra little bits and pieces going on and it'll be a great three days for us on Sky Sports Racing. It'll be a big three days for us and I'm very much looking forward to it all. It's going to be great. And if you can't make it, you will see it all live on Sky Sports Racing. Alex Hammond and the team are there. Vanessa's there for one day before then she's off to Wolverhampton and Hexham. Um, Looking forward to that. We are with you with Roy DeLarge previewing the best bets for Chester as well. So you can get that on attheraces.com and your podcast app. Uh, Remind me again about your podcast. When are you recording this week, Peter? We've got our reaction show already up. We did sort of an instant reaction show to the DQ. You can find that in themoneypodcast.com. You can follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your shows. Going to be having 
at least another one, maybe two shows this week. There's so much to unpack. We will be uh, following the story as it develops. If you haven't listened to it, it's a brilliant, brilliant show. Uh, that's it from us. We are done. Vanessa's back with me very soon. You're back with me on Monday, Vanessa, uh, as we review the weekend's action. Declan Rick's coming up with us as well. And uh, Pete, you're back with us very, very soon too, which I'm looking forward to. From Peter T. Fonatel. Yo. From Vanessa Ryle. See you later, guys. From Kevin Blake and from Daenerys Targaryen. Don't mess with her. And me, Emmett Kennedy, we will chat to you tomorrow on the Final Furlong Podcast as we look ahead to Chester. Thanks very much for listening. God bless. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app, yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, Visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.